In this episode of the Business of E-Commerce, I talk with Jason Berkowitz about three secret SEO tactics. This is the Business of E-Commerce, episode 103. Welcome to the Business of E-Commerce, the show that helps e-commerce retailers start, launch, and grow the e-commerce business. I'm your host, Charles Plesky, and I'm here today with Jason Berkowitz. Jason is the founder of Break the Web, an inbound marketing agency based in New York City, who has been helping clients with SEO strategies since 2010. I asked Jason on the show today to talk about how you can use SEO to help grow your e-commerce business. So, hey, Jason, how are you doing today? Hey, Charles, doing well. How are you? Doing good. Great to have you on the show. SEO is one of those things that you can almost never get enough of. Like, it's always this evolving thing, right? Where, you know, 2019 today and even the stuff from last year or even the stuff from earlier this year, right? seems outdated by this time. So it's always nice to yeah. kind of keep talking about this. Yeah, the Google is definitely keeping the SEO community on their toes with ever-evolving changes, updates, and um, everything that's happening all algorithmically. But um, yeah, just definitely keeping us uh, on our toes. It's probably the best way to put it. Yep. Yeah, SEO, it's, it's also unique for e-commerce, right? Where, um, you know, they're very page page heavy, I guess what you'd say, um, you know, people have blog content, but they might only have, you know, several hundred posts, let's say, but with e-commerce, you could easily have thousands of product pages. Um, and you need to kind of different, differentiate each one. So what are some challenges and what do you kind of recommend with e-commerce clients to actually help them, you know, stand out from the noise? Yeah, I think you actually nailed one of the biggest challenges is that creating that differentiation on specific products. People might create multiple product pages for the same product where there's just one different variation that's different, whether it's the color, the size, those are typical. Uh, trying to make them as unique as possible would be the goal, whether that's a completely unique meta, uh, product description, completely unique meta description, page title, as much as you can. The reason is because you want to avoid the two pages possibly competing with each other on Google search results. That is called keyword cannibalization. And what they will essentially do is cancel each other out and neither will rank just because Google doesn't know which one might be the most appropriate. So with creating that differentiation, the goal would be to try uh, to make them as unique as possible. And that is a challenge in and of itself, trying to make a product description for the same product um, unique. Obviously, even in a more ideal world would be to have those filters set uh, directly on our product page where they can adjust size color but uh, essentially trying to make each product as unique as possible one thing we see also a lot when new e-commerce sites launch is that they'll use a lot of templated information which might get carried over to multiple products which again is not creating that differentiation it is time consuming but to hit every single skew as best as possible to essentially create something very unique is the best route to go on in that that aspect. Yeah, that's always tough. Um, I was actually just talking to a client here, literally before this call. Um, and they're loading in hundreds of products kind of in bulk, um, large batches come in. And they're using uh, descriptions from a distributor, which is pulled from a manufacturer. And these are, you know, very like, you know, the large red, red widget type of thing. Um, they're not in some of these manufacturers, their descriptions are so just basic. Would no you, conversion aspect there. Yeah. yeah. Do you would you really go through and rebuild each one from scratch, or what do you do with folks that actually kind of have a lot of SKUs? So I would focus on conversion. You know, uh, that's another big reason why people might not necessarily hit that 
um, add to cart option is because they may have not been uh, getting the answers to the questions they had, or maybe the copy on the product description didn't really meet their needs or what the typical questions might be. Uh, SEO comes second, essentially, to conversion and aesthetics. So I would focus on that first, making sure that the copy is set up to convert or set up that the product description is something that is unique. Like you said, many of these big warehouse or manufacturers aren't taking the time to have something creative in their content. Uh, they usually just want to give the basic descriptions. Here's what you need to know about the product, size, length, weight, whatever it might be, colors, material. Uh, definitely take the time to get a little bit creative with your product description. Showcase the market differentiators, why they should buy your product versus something else. And focus on the conversion and then tweak after for SEO and see what can be modified for SEO value later. Got it. Okay. So start with, I mean, start with like the people in mind and not the, not the robots, right? Yeah. And that's what Google says that they want is they want you to focus on the user. And um, I do air quotes because Google is known to say one thing and mean a different thing, but it does come into play in the fact that, you know, bringing traffic to your website via SEO is great and all, but if you're not converting, was all that worth it? And that's the question. So make sure that your website is aesthetically pleasing, has good copy, good, great product descriptions that are unique that pretty much might answer all the questions somebody might have initially right off the bat and focus on getting that add to cart button. And then once you check out the cart, of course, conversion optimization to get that checkout. Got it. What is some recent kind of um, happenings with SEO? I feel like every time I kind of, <laughs> I kind of like have left the scene a little bit and every time I come in, there'll be like, you know, five different big ghoul changes. Everyone's kind of freaking out and then they have these like odd names. What is kind of, what's been the 2019 list of crazy yeah. Google search name changes that happened. They, yeah, Google actually introduced uh, something very new uh, this month, I believe. And it's a big game changer. Well, not a game changer. We'll see how that plays out. I have my own personal opinions on it, but new link attributes, which means that we are familiar with most of the time, no follow links in which a certain attribute will be added to the code of a link to t basically tell Google, uh, we're going to link to this other website. We might not necessarily trust them, but we'll link to them. They added two new link attributes that they will support. One is called user-generated content, or UGC, as a link attribute, which basically states that the content was generated by users, things like forums or reviews. And then another one was sponsored to represent what is a sponsorship opportunity or advertorial. Um, it's interesting. There's a lot of different multiple sides of how this is all going to come into play. Um, my honest opinion is it's probably not going to get used very heavily. People are going to stick with the nofollow if they do decide to continue with that route. And Google has said that the nofollow route is still perfectly acceptable and suitable in most cases. Um, there's also a lot of other people in the community that think that Google's trying to rely on publishers and editors to teach their machine learning algorithms what would be user-generated content and what would be a sponsor, uh, sponsor link. So uh, that's kind of the new happenings that happened in the SEO world. I know it's super sexy, but um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see how that's going to really play out over the next year. We all have our own assumptions. How would they treat it differently, right? Because I know, let's say you shouldn't do this, but let's say you want to do this and you just run around the internet and comment on a bunch of blogs, yeah. try to get links back. They're all no follow, so they do nothing for you. Would, like, would these mean it, would these user-generated content or sponsored pages give you any kind of link juice or are they just also kind of just, I don't know, worthless is the right word, but very yeah. low value. I think it's a bit too early um, that anyone has been able to create some concrete testing. 
But uh, I think Logic will showcase kind of like a nofollow link in the sense that they're going to be linking to a sponsored website. You know, is that a passive trust? The whole point of links and why backlinks really matter is because it's sending trust from one relevant website to another. It's kind of like mimicking word of mouth. Hey, Charles, you know a good plumber? Yeah, use ABC Plumbing. I'm going to trust ABC Plumbing because they came from your recommendation. And links kind of act in the same way. If something, though, has an ulterior motive and not necessarily a passive trust, how much SEO value can essentially be passed from there, I think is the question. Uh, I think logically, these, the assumption would be very low, but it might be a little bit too early to tell. Yeah. I feel like until... It, it always kind of follows um, WordPress, I feel like is one of the big things. Once they make an update and they change, everyone kind of like, I don't know what percentage of the web runs on WordPress, but it's just like astronomical, like two digit percentage. Um, it's like on WordPress. So I feel like once they implement this into core, that's when we really kind of find out what's happening. I don't know. That's just my opinion, at least. Well, the question is if they implement it, because yeah. um, they haven't natively, from what I understand, they haven't implemented nofollow links. So when you're creating a link in nofollow, um, I know there's a lot of different plugins that you can add to have that checkbox to make it a nofollow link. WordPress has not implemented nofollow? Uh, natively. Uh, no. So this is WordPress on the CMS side, not on their free blog standpoint. Okay. Um, so for example, like our agency website is a WordPress website. For me to make a website that I'm linking out to a nofollow link, I would either need to manually put it in the code on the content or um, a nice plugin that you can get is something that just adds all outgoing nofollow links, all outgoing links to be nofollow or have a checkbox there, make this nofollow and you check that. I don't believe natively they have the option to make outgoing links nofollow from the CMS standpoint on your own website. Gotcha. As a, I mean, as a publisher, and this is pretty off topic, but we'll come back here. Um, what is the benefit of having more nofollow links versus do followings? I guess would be the uh, inverse. Outbound or inbound? Um, outbound. Like, why not just do follow all your, like, why not as, let's say you have a huge blog, why would you even bother with nofollow if? So take Forbes, for example. Forbes.com was known to be one of the many different high tier one websites that were being used for sponsored content. And people would say, I can get your post or get you a link on Forbes.com, give me two grand and you got it. And it's that type of abuse, essentially, that was causing the reputation of Forbes to go down a little bit on whether Forbes was trustworthy. And Forbes made the switch, just like many others, like Inc.com, uh, uh, HuffPo, many other big tier one publications made all outbound links no follow for that exact reason. So they kind of stop incentivizing people to monetize their website. But on the other hand, it's also a signal for trust. So typically linking out to a website, no harm, no foul. You're not losing anything from it. It's just the other website has potential to gain. If you're not necessarily trusting of the website, that's really the thing, the purpose in my eyes of no follow. To say to Google, I will link out to this website. I won't necessarily trust them, their content, their expertise, but they're going to be labeled as a resource here. Um, I think is the biggest one. Um, in my eyes, I see it primarily to reduce the amount of sponsorship requests. Uh, spammers might say, oh, they're making all outbound links to follow. Not worth hitting them up to try to get a guest post or something. So let's say you are a retailer, though, and you need more inbound do fall links. What is the, what's like the right thing to do? And you know, going yeah. into 2020 here to actually get these inbound links. 
Yeah, so there are link sellers that have great relationships with some publications that might be able to get you these type of links. Of course, you're running the risk of the quality of the link, the context of the link, uh, what's surrounding that link in terms of contextually. You know, are the words matching up? Is the content even great? Having a link on very poorly written content is kind of a um, inconsistency. It's not something you really want. Uh, the best way to go about it, uh, the way we do it in our agency, is old school outreach kind of like PR style outreach where we try to build relationships or dip into our current relationships that might be relevant for our clients and try to just have an exchange of value and say, hey, here's something that would be great to write about or here's our client that does this. Um, what would it take just to get them mentioned or is this something that would be interesting to your readers? So it's a bit more work and definitely revolves around time. Uh, but taking that step out, reaching out to your favorite blogs, journalists, editors, just to help spread the word, kind of like what a PR specialist would do essentially, is a great natural way to build links. So it sounds like the hard work way. So there's no there's no shortcut. I can just hit a button and get like hundreds of inbound links. So I feel like that's what everyone's <laughs> It used to be. With. Yeah, it used, it to, used be, right? to be. Yeah, the back in the old days of SEO, it, literally you can build thousands of links with the click of a button in 10 minutes and you would instantly rank, uh, rank for some absolutely crazy things. Um, that's just the old algorithm. Yeah, the one, I mean, the good part about this, I would kind of try to look at the other way, right? That it, yeah. I think they've made it um, more difficult, and I get it. But the good part about that is, as a retailer, your competitors probably aren't doing this work either, right? Or it's just, it's gonna be more difficult for everyone. So, you know, maybe you can only get, you know, 10 inbound links for a thousand um, back in the day but they're more valuable now. Um, they actually yeah. matter versus before you could just get thousands of these like worthless links. Um, and now versus quality. Yeah, exactly. So what else? Yeah. Cause I, we get this too, actually, where a lot of the inbound links, it's literally like a phone call with someone, you know, that we know here and Hey, you know, we wrote this article it would actually be good for you guys. And like, it's really this, like, it's almost like sales at this point. You're really like, it's a big deal to get a link, it feels like. First, before, it just felt like, yeah, anyone can link to anyone. Yeah, I think it's, well, first of all, if somebody's calling you, I give them props. That's like a lot of work, as opposed to many other people who might just send out emails uh, in bulk to a small amount of people, maybe uh, 50 to 60 people. Uh, but it, it is a little bit of work. It comes down to uh, the end goal, like you said, the quality of the link and how it comes into play contextually versus... Um, the quantity. Yep. Any other, any other ways? I mean, it really feels like it's like, it's just like one-on-one -on -one thing almost now where you have to really like know the person. Are there any other, you know, tips people just are doing? Just kind of create an exchange of value. That's um, an exchange of value. Mm -hmm. You know, why a lot of people like we get a lot of spam per day, a uh, hundred emails a day. People saying, let me guest post to your site or I have something great for your audience, but there's no exchange of value where we don't, even open them, they just go immediately to the trash. Why are you worthy of a first getting me to engage in your email? What value are you presenting? What do you have to offer us? Is it money? Is it a great audience that you might have to share your post? Uh, what could it be? Have something um, that could be engaging to our readers. You know, if we had a blog that would be relevant or has a big audience, as opposed to saying, let me just submit content with a link in mind. So when we, for example, if we do go the route of trying to have an exchange of value like that, our goal would be to create some kick-ass content. 
content that they would be proud to share on their social media channels. So we don't go for those cheap article creation routes. Uh, we have in-house writers that take the time to research a content, a content piece, maybe make some creatives and graphics if it's applicable. Uh, so it is work, but we are providing value to their readers. And it is something of a mutual exchange. You know, they understand we might be linking to our site, which is fine for them because it's not linked to promotionally. It makes sense. Maybe they're citing an article that we have to back up uh, what's being on, posted on their website. Think of uh, providing value as opposed to just expecting something. Like, I have a great post, which we all know is not great. <laughs> it's written by somebody out of the country, out of the US, that English is not the first language uh, that tends to happen. And just, yeah, uh, I think the best way to put it is to showcase value, you know? Yeah, do you, do you recommend building the article ahead of time and then going to them with this completed article with creatives and everything like that and saying, hey, we have this, take a look. Or are you going to them with just concepts ahead of time and saying, hey, you know, we're thinking of writing the ultimate guide to X or whatever it is. Um, are you interested? Like, which way do you do this? Both. <laughs> so the only way we will technically have content pre-written is if we created something, then it got rejected, which does happen. Sometimes messaging was off. So to avoid us losing in that aspect, we would try to pitch it. But typically at the same time, we would also try to pitch new topics. So here's an article we created on this topic. Feel free to check it out. If it looks good, there we go. If not, um, here's some other ideas or here's some other uh, concepts that might be good for your blogs, for your blogs or for your readers. Does any of these work? So that's where it might be both. Uh, typically, we approach with trying to create something new and unique so we can aim to match their voice, match their style, and also match the personality of their audience. Uh, but if we do have something, we try to make use out of it just so it wasn't time and money wasted internally. Uh, so. Yeah, I know. The best is I've gone and pitched concepts, and then they also link back to other articles they've written. And they'll come and say, we have this concept for you. We think this would fit great. And here's 10 of the posts we did for other folks um, to kind of show you know, an example of their work sort of thing. Um, and that's one of those things that then you're able to look and get the sample, get the idea. And if it really does fit, then you know you're going to get something similar quality. Um, and that's something, I don't know, it's always worked, at least inbound with me. That's awesome, yeah. yeah that's great. <laughs> well, not something I've done. Um, it's, it's something we get pitched for articles. Oh, OK. Yeah. How long are you, at, now how long are you actually spending generating this content on like a per article basis? Is this? You know, so you're not going to some, um, you know, I'm trying to think of the right way of saying this. You're not paying someone three dollars an hour to create some spammy article. So, like, what are you doing, and what sort of commitment is this? So it really depends on the article and how much how much research needs to be involved. If it is something that our in-house writer is very familiar with, she can probably she's collected so much information. One of our writers. Uh, this is why we love her so much is because she enjoys writing, but also she enjoys the reading aspect of uh, the research aspect of it because she's learning so much. And by this, she's kind of like a computer that's collecting all this information that she can use for another article if necessary. So if it is something that she's very, very familiar with, it can be uh, a great 2000 word article, maybe in an hour or so. And then it goes through the proofreading and then maybe a couple of revisions later on. But that would be the typical time frame. If it is something that is brand new to her, or that were, and or requires a lot of research, we would go two routes. Either she would research and get that part done, or we would seek out an expert in that topic that is an expert at writing on a specific topic. There's a plethora of places to get um, experts that are awesome at writing. Things like Upwork, 
for freelance websites. So we might seek out a writer if it's a unique project or a unique article content piece is the route we would go on. And that could take, that would be a per project fee. So it won't, I don't really know how much time it will take them, but at the end of the day, we have something delivered. The typical average article, <laughs> too long, didn't read, could probably be maybe two hours, two to three hours, give or take, for one uh, basic piece. It doesn't have much statistics or much research in there. Is there a target kind of length or like, what is kind of the target when you're building these, right? Because over a certain size, um, you can't write a small book because no one's going to read it. Um, but also you can't write a, like a paragraph either, right? So there's like, and it seems like articles have gotten longer. At least that's my sense of, they used, they used to be blog articles that were like super short and just like a graphic. And now it's getting to be like longer and longer. But like, where is, where's the range that's kind of right nowadays? Um, we have some publishers that will say that they have a minimum word count, which is fine. I think the goal should be to hit a count that accurately displays the message. The problem with many books, for example, uh, that you might buy on Amazon, is that they have repetitive paragraphs and repetitive uh, chapters just for the sake of trying to fill it out a little bit more. If you can answer probably the best way you can in 500 words, why go over? You know, why bore somebody? Why, why risk losing that conversion aspect if you have a call to action at the bottom of the article? If it's an in-depth article, it might be a little bit more. I wouldn't necessarily focus on a specific count, but more focus in how long does it take to get to the point, answer the question while providing supplemental information. Got it. Okay. So if there is, if, yeah, because I've seen this before publishers. It's an really, ambiguous answer, I know. <laughs> yeah. I, I like the dancing around, basically, as short as you can get away with. But the publishers might stop you as well. Yeah, because I've seen this before where they have they have a hard limit and they literally just reject it if it's below. Um, and they usually have, what is a style guide? Kind of explain the length, the voice, that sort of thing. Um, any other kind of tips you give to a retailer that you're working with around this? Because I like this. It feels like I was talking with um, Noah Kagan last, uh, I think it was last week. Um, and yeah, episode 102. And we're talking about goal setting, right? On, you can't go out and say, I want to hit a goal of X number of dollars per month. Like it's, you could, right? But it's not something you can directly control. But this concept of, you want to pitch five different blogs, you want to write three different articles, whatever that number is, this is something that even as a smaller retailer, you could set that as a goal and just say, every month, no matter what, I have to pitch 10 blogs, whether they say yes or no, I just have to pitch them. And you could start to set some sort of numbers like that. So I feel like this is something where you can get like a cadence going and, yeah. you know, just test test and get in the mode. And, you know, maybe you pitch 10 and out of that you get one or maybe the number is 100 to one, whatever that is. But at least you'll you'll learn. Yeah, uh, split test, see what works. Try something new if you're trying the same thing for a while and you send out 100 emails and you're getting a zero percent reply rate or success rate probably time to switch it up and get creative. You know, think about it like this. Again, we get maybe a little over 100 spam emails like that per day, which typically all go to the trash. Your goal would be to create something different, create something that will that they will open and they will read your email and then hopefully reply. Uh, don't be like the, uh, I will review a high quality article or check out my product, um, I will send you a sample for free, which many people like free stuff, which is great and all. Focus on being different. If you have a personality on your brand, showcase that personality. Be weird. Be quirky. Um, I, you know, we have a we're doing a website redesign soon, and 
I remember mentioning dad jokes just because I, I tend to be super weird and make weird dad jokes in inappropriate times. <laughs> so that we're putting that personality on our website. Showcase your personality, be different, create something that's engaging, um, and that if you receive that type of email, you would be quite shocked and respond. Um, I've seen some really interesting things that have gotten attention. Uh, things like, and again, it does require, but if you're only sending out 10 emails a day, you can do something creative with their brand, with their logo. Maybe take a picture of it, of, of you holding their logo, whatever, of you in the body of the email. That's engaging. It shows that you took the time to research them and you've gone ahead and just say, hey, look at me over here. I'm holding your brand. I'm actually, um, actually took the time to send you something personal versus just adding you to a list of 300 people that are going to get the same email. Yeah, I was actually pitched by someone before. I think it was actually for the, sh the show and they were on the site doing using a uh, loom. Have you ever used that? Yeah, it's uh, it allows you to capture the screen and your face at the same time. So they were on the business e-commerce site with them talking to me through this like video. So I was like, oh, this is they're actually like this is really just like they recorded it just for me. It wasn't like a thing they recorded. I mean, maybe, I, I don't know, some other childs they were talking to, but it really was, and they were talking, and it, I don't know why they were on the site. It actually didn't really make any sense, but you could see from the thumbnail, <laughs> like, but at least you could see from the thumbnail that they were on the site. So you're like, oh, I have to click this now, and clearly there's a person, so I have to, I have to at least see what they're going to say, right? So something like that really grabs my attention, um, I know, being on the receiving end of this. Yeah, showcasing that it is something personal, that they're not... Pretty much, you, you, we all probably get those emails where people massively failed at those bulk sending where you see the brackets of, hey, first name. <laughs> uh, we all see them when they just screw up really bad. That's what we're used to seeing. If you want to, and any publisher is used to seeing those type of emails, uh, be different. Take that for time to be a bit more personal. You know, maybe acknowledge something on their website. If you find an error on their website, that's always a win. To say, hey, you have this error on your site. I was browsing, uh, looking, trying to get an idea of the audience, their personality that you might have in your site. Here's something I noticed which you might want to fix ASAP. Um, that's one of, even if, uh, for example, I don't have an ulterior motive. Um, if I'm on a website, I might just email them, hey, notice this issue. To blue. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> I actually had someone one time, I'll just, I, I have some good examples as a publisher. Someone sent me a screenshot of them giving a five star rating in iTunes for the show. Um, and talking and they were kind of pitching something and I was saying, Oh, it's actually a pretty clever. It was like literally iTunes and I could see them. And then mouse was on like the submit button and they wrote up this big rating yeah. and you know, you get the little That's notification. an exchange of value. Yeah. And you kind of saw that and it wasn't like, it was like, Oh, I already, re I already rated you. It wasn't like, I will rate you if you do this. It was like, Hey, I gave you a five star rating. I listened to this episode and they cited a bunch, they quoted a bunch of things. It's like, Oh, they really did their research, right? So you read through the whole pitch, even though it's like long-winded, but yeah. now you, I read through it. Have you ever heard of the book by Robert Cialdini, Influence? Yes, that's a great, yeah. Talk about so that. that's where, yeah, they're pretty much falling into the laws of reciprocation. You know, hey, I did this for you. I scratched your back. Can you come and scratch mine? Which enhances the probability of them getting a great response. Great book recommendation for anybody that's in um, marketing or conversion or just trying to understand the human psychology. Uh, but that's with the power and the law of reciprocation. And it's an exchange of value. That's really what they did. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely, and when someone does that, you feel almost required to give some, <laughs> at least give them some attention back. They gave you attention, so you're going to give them attention back versus you know that, like, hey, bracket first name, you know they didn't give you any attention. You just, you get it. So you feel like you don't owe them anything because they didn't give you anything, really. Um, 
So yeah, I definitely, you can feel that being on the receiving end of this. Any other, other than just like written content, like let's say I'm sitting here listening and I'm saying, you know what, I'm, I'm an awful writer or I just don't like, some people just don't like this. Is there, I remember like um, a few years ago, infographics were like this thing that everyone was producing and then everyone got kind of bored of them. Is that, or maybe they didn't, I don't know, but is that still a thing or are there other non-written pieces of content people still use? Yeah, I thought it kind of faded away, kind of like you, that it was an old school thing. But I actually have a few colleagues that are still killing it with infographics for getting links back. And maybe it's because it kind of died down a little bit over the years that it's not so hot anymore. Uh, but it's not something that I've really delved into as a, as a marketing tactic, but I do know people that are still using infographics with a lot of success, to my own surprise, where I've I said bullshit on you and your, your links and they showed it to me, I was like, damn. Right. So they've pretty much fine-tuned it over the years when it was hot and are still having success with it. Why stop it? Um, other things that are related aside from content, um, of course, there's always sponsorship opportunities and you run the risk of getting that sponsor link or a no-follow link, of course. Um, but content really is king. You know, how, so from an SEO standpoint, we use content to create thematic relevancy of a page. So when Google comes in, they understand what a page is about just by reading the content. Without the content, the page title, meta information, they simply won't know what a page is about. So that's where they use content. And for a site to link to you, what would be natural? Are they citing your piece of content as a resource for statistics? Are they linking out to it because it was a great product? Now, product pages don't need to have a couple hundred words of content. That's just really losing the conversion aspect. But that would be the other alternative in an e-commerce site is if you have a product page that's aiming to get links. Anything else, videos, uh, rich media still work great. Um, you mentioned infographics slash images. You know, um, that can be, again, another tool if you market or write and create that differentiation. Uh, we still see, I still see a lot of, I created this awesome graphic. You should link to it on this page on your site. Um, that probably won't work as well. But... Videos is a good one, I think, that a lot of e-commerce companies aren't utilizing, to be honest with you. Uh, people want to see a face, and I think a lot of e-commerce clients aren't necessarily their about us page. talks about the company as a whole, which is great, but people want to see a face to the name, and they want to hear a great story. No, no, no one loves more than a great entrepreneurial story. Create a face to the name, put a video, have a video just introducing yourself, showing off your products, have a weekly video series where you show something new or give value. It could be on a blog post, a video and then the content can essentially be a transcript of the video uh, so you don't really need you to work very hard to do both creating unique content but people can link to that video that video page that's hosted on your website yep is that something you could get so you would try to share the video though or are you just talking about hosting kind of just giving like about us and that sort of thing like where would you actually use um, the video you you can just host it on youtube okay. and then just embed it embed it on your website uh, there's also a lot of other players that you can embed on your site if you want a different type of look where maybe YouTube might not be appropriate. And then um, from a content standpoint, yeah, you can make it as a blog post and say, hey, uh, men mentioned you if you mention a company, for example, as a great example, that might be a thought leader. Mention that in a video saying, hey, you mentioned you in this video with your social followers like that. And then if they share the video to their following, there's a decent chance that that following that's reading it might link to it. So while social media doesn't have a direct correlation into SEO, 
it could have an indirect correlation into the SEO if somebody does see it and links to it. Um, that's one tactic that I've seen work very well, saying, uh, for example, this company and their product so-and-so is absolutely killing it with this market. Um, it's more thought leadership content. But then you reach out to them and say, hey, you were mentioned. Just one idea. Yeah, because if the brand, if a larger brand mentions you, they're kind of, even though on social, right? So social doesn't do anything for SEO link juice, but it does make you look more credible for now the hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of folks that have seen that. And then, like you said, they might actually, some one of them might actually be a publisher. Yeah, exactly. A lot of these editors are just looking for content. A lot of these social media managers that might be working for these publications are out of content ideas. I know a lot of big companies that publish three or 400 uh, content pieces a day, uh, but if they might be looking for something different, if they were mentioning that might be a little bit low uh, success rate, you probably won't be able to get something secured if they are publishing that much content. Uh, but you know, you can even check out their social media feed, see how often they're posting. Maybe they just need something new to post that's not super promotional, but just saying, hey, we were mentioning this, or check out so-and-so's review of this, you know, whatever it might be. I think you can get a little bit creative. Very cool. I'm just brainstorming right now. Yeah, no, I, these are, and I feel like some of this is good, right? Where it's just new stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just new stuff, right? Cause you start, if you read, sometimes when you're fishing through blog posts, you, you start reading it and you hear this tactic and then you read, and then you kind of, you're like, ah, oh, it feels like I've heard this before. And you scroll up to the top, you're like, oh, it's 2012. <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay. Now, now I see why I've seen this before. Um, so just kind of this conversation, it's, and like I said, at the very beginning, it's just like evolving things. So you need to, you need to be, and I don't, oddly I get a lot of this information from podcasts also, just because folks like yourself, they do the research and then you can kind of just listen in here. Oh, so this is where things are. And you know, the current year and not just, you know, this old stuff from long ago, um, that probably isn't working anymore. So super helpful. I love the different brainstorm tactics. Um, been a big help there. Yeah. And then just getting creative. I think um, I know that even in this conversation, I've had some ideas that I'm going to be writing down right after this call. <laughs> um, and I don't know if somebody else has done it before. I don't know if it's written in format, but it might be something that would be worthy of us trying internally here in the form of videos. All right. Well, you have, you're going to have to uh, try that and we'll have you back on the show and talk about that and find out. So. If people want to kind of follow you, um, check out the agency, where can they do that? You can find me at breaktheweb.agency, LinkedIn, uh, jasonberkowitz.com, or just Googling my name. Awesome, Jason. It was great having you on. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much.